Did you happen to see that video I just sent you? Was it was it the one on the on the triangles? Uh, it, it was just a quick one where I traced it across the entire sky. But no, like I no just I, I just watched the video. We're live, by the way. I just watched the video yeah. that you posted <clears throat> just a couple of days ago, sort of showing the the bokeh, right. the uh, uh -huh. the fine Japanese bokeh of uh, of of light in the sky. And I mean, like that's just it, it's beautiful. I mean, just to see that that explanation, and especially how the yeah. stars line up nicely, Jupiter and the and the and the stars in the in the constellation. It's uh, it was, uh, man, it was it was just perfect. Just like yep done like it's absolutely you know it's interesting i i love bokeh um my <laughs> father is a photographer and so he introduced All me right. to the term and sort of taught me um how to how to sort of bring that out managing your depth of field in your in your photographs and so on so um yeah so so who are you by the way who are you what do you do <laughs> who is this mystery yeah, man yeah who am i talking uh, to i am I'm retired. I, I am a, a former video game programmer. Oh, wow. I was one of the, the founders of the company Neversoft sure. to develop Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. And uh, so I was able to kind of yeah retire fairly young from that and then did a bit of freelance consulting and stuff for a few years after that. But uh, also just like did stuff I was interested in, which was debunking conspiracy theories and uh, eventually analyzing ufo videos well, how did how did that become the thing that you really like to do <laughs> because i like like you know my audience is probably pretty aware that i'm mm -hmm. i have zero interest in it and and like i do it because i kind of get dragged kicking and screaming and i'll bring on oh, yeah. a guest i'll bring in yeah. an expert <clears throat> um but but i just like at the end of the day, and we talked about this on, in Clubhouse a couple of days ago, right? That every story just leads to somebody saw something, and as a as a journalist, for me, that's that's like that's such a pointless story. <laughs> so, well, for me, what what I like to focus on are the stories where it, it isn't just somebody saw something; it's yeah. an actual photo or a video. And for me, those are the the fun, interesting things to to kind of get into in depth and track down and try to figure out what they are because it's like a little puzzle right you're given right. this this little you know five megabytes of data which is just a video that's a bit blurry and shaky uh, and then you've got to do maybe some detective work to track down who shot it and what time it was when they shot it and where they were and the date and what direction they were looking in you know, all these things and then the camera what type of lens were they using what look at the exif data what's the exposure there's all kinds of of information you can pull out of these things yeah, yeah and then try to take that and what you see on screen and try to transfer that that two-dimensional representation of of the world into an understanding of how the 3d actually works the 3d representation of the world uh works and uh quite often you're looking at things like planes and then you get to like track down the plane by looking yeah. at flight radar 24 and see right. what plane it was and all kinds of things but uh, but i i read or i know that you started out not looking at ufos specifically but you were yeah. go dealing with contrails how did how did that come about well uh i'm <laughs> it's weird really i mean i I, it kind of started because I was editing Wikipedia because I thought editing Wikipedia was fun, like uh, you know, going on there and changing the articles. You need to, some to kind of retirement <laughs> coach or something, I think. Yeah, well, I was doing lots of other things as yeah, well. But okay. One other thing I was also doing was learning to fly. So I was taking fly less, flying lessons. Uh, 
But so I would look up things on Wikipedia and then I would correct them. And then I, I came across this chemtrails conspiracy theory. And I thought that was something that I could, I could research chemtrails and then, uh, you know, correct the Wikipedia entry. But it turns out just editing Wikipedia entries like that isn't, isn't that much fun. And I wanted to write more expansive things and do investigations into specific cases and things like that. So I started to blog. Uh, contrail science where i'd look into all these specific claims people were making about the chemtrails conspiracy theory and then it was really all about getting into the science of contrails and how they form and the paths that planes take and the altitude and stuff and so what came with that was people would post videos of planes and they would say this is a secret government spraying plane and then i would take that video and i would track down exactly which plane it was and it turned out to be you know air alaska flight uh, right. 23 from from Seattle to Los Angeles or whatever it is, and not a secret government military spraying plane. And so I got kind of good at identifying planes in the air. And then of course, with chemtrails, you get people who are interested in other things and people are interested in UFOs and sometimes uh, yeah, things like alien visitors and whatnot. And they would send me things like, hey, here is a, here's a flying saucer flying along past this contrail or this chemtrail that they, they right. call it. And so then I would look into that. And so now I'm starting to look at UFO videos and then people just start sending me UFO videos. So what is the toolkit then? So when, when somebody presents you with footage of a UFO, um, what do you do to try to analyze and figure out to the best of your ability what is really there? Well, the very first thing to do is try to ensure you're getting the best quality version of the video. Because a lot of the times people will post things on social media and uh, it goes through the YouTube or the Twitter compression algorithm. And it comes out it's like terrible. You can't really see anything. So you want to try to dig down and try to find the original version. And you also want to find out who took it. Uh, and if possible, contact them and try to get them to send you the in-camera original. But yeah. If you can do that, sometimes you can't, but then what you really want to do after that is figure out where is the camera and what is it looking at? Uh, because a lot of the time, what you're looking at is something that makes sense in the context of where the camera actually is. Uh, a lot of the time it can be uh, a plane. And if you know where the camera was and when the video was taken, you can go into these, these flight tracking sites like Flight Radar 24 or a planefinder.net and you can just rewind time back to that spot and you will see planes uh, in that direction. And sometimes you can take those, uh, the, the tracks of those planes and you get a, a 3D track, uh, a KLM track that you can import into Google Earth. And then you can take the virtual camera in Google Earth and put it where uh, the camera was when, when you saw this UFO. And then the track of the plane will appear and you can see it come in and you can then you can overlay the video with, <laughs> right. with the, the thing in Google Earth. And you can prove with beyond a reasonable doubt that it was that uh, particular plane. Um, and beyond that, there's things like using Photoshop or uh, a video editing software to analyze the video in more depth, bring out the hidden detail. A lot of the times there's things in the shadows that you can't see and you, right. can, you can bring that detail out. But I know that is a bit of a dangerous tool to use because in many cases that's also the same way that some of the people who are making mm -hmm. conspiracy theories will take right. a photograph, blow it, you know, blow it up many times and it introduces image artifacting into the picture that then 
Definitely. Um, you know, starts to create boxes around things and so on. So yeah, you've got, got to be careful with that. And, and what you want to do there is only use transforms uh, that don't alter the actual pixels. They just change the brightness of the pixels, the intensity of the pixels or the color of the pixels. Is that way you're not losing or you know, gaining any additional detail? Because often people will upscale something and uh, that can create a contour around it that didn't actually exist in the real thing. And what you're seeing is a contour that comes from uh, either just pixel boundaries or sometimes from uh, uh, JPEG or motion uh, compression artifacts. You get these eight by eight boxes and the more it's compressed, the more you get these jagged right. eight by eights. And then people take that and then they upload it somewhere, they download it again, it gets compressed different ways. Sometimes they rotate it and then you get them at an angle and then they blow it up and enhance it. And it looks like you've got all this detail, but really you don't. Right. So what I do is I always try to just uh, not modify the actual pixels. And a, a big problem now is people are starting to use AI upscaling, <laughs> yeah, which is basically the computer looks at this image or this video and kind of squints at it and then imagines in its little robot brain what it thinks it looks like and then draws a version of it and then gives you that, right? which isn't actually giving you more information than you had before. It's it's kind of like you're relying on the robot's imagination for, for what you, what you right. actually get. Right, it's a fever dream from an artificial intelligence. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that alone, it's funny, like that idea of just recreating the location of the camera, recreating the sky conditions day or night to see what airplanes, what stars in the sky, where's Venus, how, what mm -hmm. percentage would you say that wipes away of, of what people think are, I mean, are, are unidentified objects. You are, you are turning them to identified objects. Well, when you can actually get a very good uh, detailed position and time, uh, a very large percentage of them can be resolved that way. Now, of course, a lot of them, uh, a lot of UFOs are not actually planes. They're things like balloons or even, even birds or just some, something that's so far away you can't see it. It's too far away, so you can't tell what it is. But if it is a plane, then and when you have this 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 location information, then you're you're almost guaranteed to be able to find it. There's been numerous cases uh, where I've done that. There was a very famous one a few years ago in 2017, the Chilean Navy UFO case, where the Chilean Navy uh, had taken video of what looked like this little blob in the distance, and then this blob it was infrared, so it was hot. You could see it looked like it was spewing out hot liquid from the back. Uh, they couldn't figure out what it was, and the the Chilean government, actually, the Air Force, has a body that investigates UFOs. And they spent two years investigating it, and they couldn't they couldn't figure out what it was. Uh, and then after two years, they released this video, and they did, there was a big article on it in the Huffington Post. And uh, uh, they said, it's a genuine UFO because we can't figure out what it is. For two years, we've, the best people have studied it. And so I, I looked at it, and I thought, oh, that looks like a plane leaving a contrail. And sure enough, that's what it turned out to be. Uh, within a few days, we uh, tracked down exactly which plane it was and created this 3D visualization <laughs> and that showed that this plane was in this exact spot, something that the Chilean uh, uh, Chilean Air Force's uh, body had not been able to do after two years of study. Yeah. So just because people are experts, it doesn't mean that they're they're able to figure things out. You know, I'm. I'm an expert at a rather niche thing, which is like looking at planes with contrails and figuring out where they are in space. Right. And uh, they perhaps didn't have that particular expert on that, on that body.
So, so what do you do then when the, I mean, you load up Stellarium to check to see the star positions and the positions of the planets. You load up your flight tracker to show you the positions of the airplanes and, and at the right time and the location of the camera. But there's a lot of fairly famous examples that you've gone into. Um, let's talk about the one that actually the most recent mm -hmm. one is this, this one with these strange pyramids flying in the sky. Right. Uh, so how did, how did that one come about? Well, yeah, that's when I just saw it uh, at the same time everybody else did. And uh, I think the the filmmaker, Jeremy Corbell, uh, posted a tweet with a link to the video. And so I looked at the video and I said, my first impression is that this is a plane because it's flashing like a plane and it's just out of focus. And actually, I said that uh, literally within 10 minutes of him posting the, the original video. But you know, when, you, when you just say that, I don't really have the evidence to, to demonstrate that. And so I, I kind of set out trying to show how it could be that. And there was actually a huge amount of information that was, that was I was able to work with uh, uh, the way it came out. But the first thing I did was try to figure out, could a night vision monocular actually make little triangles? And so I was doing things like took my, my camera uh, and I, I modified it uh, by adding a triangular lens cap. Let me see, get that to, yep. to focus. Yep. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just, you know, it's just a regular lens cap with a bit of, a bit of tape on it. And uh, so there's a triangular hole in it. Uh, and when I took pictures with of, of stars and lights and things, they turned triangular exactly the same as they did in the uh, uh, in the footage. Uh, and then uh, some some people I knew online, one of them had a night vision binocular, uh, and he discovered that the, this actually had a triangular aperture. And so he took this outside and he took pictures of planes and stars and uh, and uh, lights in the distance, and they turned into triangles exactly the same. Then another thing you can do is if you have a, a lens cap uh, in the front of your night vision monocular, some people actually cut these little holes in. Like this is this is a lens cap for uh, PVS-14, which is a military standard night vision. And people sometimes cut little holes in to improve the focus. And if the hole happened to be a triangular hole, it would have the exact same effect. Mm -hmm. So we showed that it was definitely possible to create this effect. So then the next step was try to figure out like, hey, this is a plane and we just it's just out of focus or something like like a plane then you know what could it be and you know, where is it uh one thing we looked at was the the flashing of the lights the, they flash in what looks like a random sequence they, we, it looks like a triangle uh, that is actually flashing so i tried to find planes there where the lights would flash in a similar sequence so i analyzed this sequence and i discovered it was actually two overlapping sequences one like 1.5 seconds and one at 1.2 seconds and so they got out of sequence and looked random. And I found that uh, Boeing 737s have similar things. So it's kind of consistent with existing uh, navigation lights of planes. Uh, and then but you actually like matched it up, right? Like you matched up the the frequency of the flashes and of the triangle to the make of the airplane. Like it was like a yeah, 737. Uh, that, that, was, that was the most consistent. The Boeing 737, the, uh, uh, the main nav lights matched up exactly. I think the, the tail lights, or what I assumed were the tail lights, were a bit off. Problem with, uh, with finding these things is that most of the footage you see of planes with nav lights is actually when they're on the ground and not when they're at 30,000 feet. Uh, so it's, it's actually hard to find reference footage of them, them in flight. But that was the best I could do, and it, 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 it matched pretty well. I wouldn't say it was an exact match, but it was a pretty good match. And you put them side by side, it you know, looks essentially like it's a, a, the flashing lights of a plane. Yeah, I, I think your, your video is very 
it's very compelling. <laughs> just the way yeah. you bit by bit work your way towards the recreating almost frame for frame what's being shown in the in the the original released video. Um, so yeah. so what's been tricky? What's been the trickiest one for you to 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 deal with? And then you know, sort of a in a preparation of a follow up question, what's the one that's getting away from you? What's the one that you haven't been able to solve yet? Well, the problem with UFOs is they, they all exist in what I call the, the low information zone. Right? They, they're only unidentified uh, because they, there's something about them that is not sufficiently well specified for you to identify them. Generally, that's that they're too far away, like a TFA. Uh, <laughs> too far TFA. The one is that, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, also, the title of my upcoming podcast, TFA. Uh, too far away. Then the other one is that they are out of focus. Uh, OOF. 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 Yeah. I, I like these. Two, I like these two, three-letter acronyms for things. Yeah. Or they're they're things that are like just lights in the sky, and you, you have no context for what they are. You see a light, and perhaps it's moving, perhaps it isn't. And if someone says that's a UFO, what am I going to do with that? It's a light in the sky. If I can't identify it to a plane in Flight Radar Twenty Four, perhaps they don't give the location exactly. You can't solve that. Mm -hmm. You can bring up a hypothesis and say, oh, it's probably just a plane or it's whatever it is, a skydiver or a meteorite, or, you know, there's all kinds of different possibilities and a lot of them fit uh, one particular case, but uh, sometimes you can't come up with a definitive answer. Uh, but what, what people are really looking for though, isn't that they're not looking for things where we don't have enough information. They're looking for the cases where we actually do have information where we actually have, say, a, a good quality video or a video combined with radar returns or two videos from, from different angles or uh, a sighting that was seen by, by 10 different people in different locations. Those cases would be very, very difficult uh, to explain if they, if in, in terms of mundane explanations, if, uh, if they were as described. But the problem is those cases really don't exist. We don't have cases where we have uh, high quality close-up footage of a a ufo that has been uh, in, in any way verified there's lots of fake footage of course and sometimes you see this anonymous footage crop up on youtube usually very low resolution for obvious reasons uh but we don't have these these good cases and you know, if we did I'd, I'd love to have a look at them mm -hmm. but unfortunately the things that puzzle me are just puzzling because they're too far away or because they're out of focus or because they're, they're too small they're too unidentified yeah. yeah, they're literally unidentified flying objects, which are yeah. real things. I see them all. If I was to open my window right now, I would probably see some white dot off in the distance, which could be uh, could be a bit of fluff. It could be a plane. It could be a bird. It is, though, an unidentified flying object. Yeah, so, I, the name is perfect. That's, that's not interesting. Yeah, it, yeah, the name is really <laughs> ideal. I mean, it just I do really love the idea of it being an identified flying object. People always ask me, do you believe in UFOs? And I'm like, I totally do. They're objects. They're yeah, flying, yeah, I mean, it's, and they're unidentified. We don't know what they are. It's kind of a truism. We we know that they're objects, but you know, yeah. the, we people people think that there is more to it than that, and that they are that they are flying in a way that could not be these other things. They say they see something, and it can't be a, a bird. It can't be a plane. It can't be a light in the sky. Uh, it has to be something, and they have these these list of criteria for that. Like it's right. uh, there's five observables that they talk about. Uh, which is like moving very fast, a sudden acceleration, uh, going from the air to the water, and uh, 
uh, I think being blurry is actually one of the five observables. Being difficult to observe is is something that you can observe, uh, which is a clue that it's uh, an alien spaceship. Right, right. Uh, um, but they're, they're quite serious about it, and they, they will say that the reason it's hard to observe is that it's warping the fabric of space and time around itself. Sure. So it's got a, a bubble of space-time around it that makes it hard to see. Right. Um, so I guess what is a UFO that has taken the, I guess, the imagination of the UFO community mm. by storm that has a really nice, well-sourced science explanation. Like if you could, if you could hand over the evidence, the compelling evidence to the, to this community, which is the one that they love and yet has, has just been so debunked. It's kind of hilarious. That uh, I, I I think the best example of that is the gimbal UFO video, and people will probably argue with me about whether it is debunked or not. Now, uh, the gimbal UFO video is one of the three official Navy uh, videos that was was released, like in 2018. It was kind of leaked out to the to the press and and to Tom DeLonge's to the Stars Academy, and it shows uh, what looks like a a flying saucer flying around. It's kind of a black shape, uh, kind of a saucer disc flying disc shape and it looks like it's flying sideways and then it kind of slows down and it kind of rotates and we got the the, the audio of the pilot saying look at that thing what is that thing it's rotating so they're they, you know, they, they're, they're seeing it as well but you know, i think they're actually seeing it on the on the screen rather than the by the naked eye but uh people have taken this as being evidence of of being some kind of anti-gravity craft because aerodynamically there's no way a plane can be flying along uh, and then turn 90 degrees and then just kind of hover on its edge. It doesn't work. It would fall out of the sky um, unless there's some very unusual lift mechanism uh, going on, uh, which there you know, doesn't appear to be anything going on. And you can't see any shape to the thing. It looks like it's a saucer. But this is one I looked at quite a lot. And I think that I've demonstrated fairly conclusively that what it is is just, uh, it's just glare. It's just infrared glare. Now, glare is the kind of spillover light around another light. Like I'm holding a flashlight in my hand that's, you know, it's like about an inch across. If I turn the flashlight on, it creates uh, a, a glare, which is about two inches across. So you can't actually see the flashlight. It's, uh, and if I make the flashlight brighter, now you've got a glare, which is several inches across. And it completely obscures the flashlight and even like large parts of my hand. So if you have an infrared camera and you look at a, say an fa-18 that's off in the distance a few miles off in the distance and this this plane is flying directly away from you you're looking directly up its tailpipe into the, the the hot part of the engine the very hottest part and so that's going to appear as in infrared as a very bright light exactly the same as looking at a, a flashlight you see here's the engine it's just going that way you can't see very much but when it turns towards you you get this glare mm -hmm. and uh the shape of the glare is defined by the interior of the it's, it's defined by the camera aspects of the camera the shape of the glare there's a number of things that can, can vary it one of which is just the front cover uh, can be can be smeared you can demonstrate this yourself by uh, just kind of touching the lens on your camera and you will see the the shape of the glare change uh, now the cameras in these planes are mounted in a very interesting way. It's a, it's a gimbal mount, and the video is called gimbal, which I think is not a coincidence. Uh, the camera is a gimbal mount, and it's it's got a, a long forward axis and then kind of an up-down axis, which means that 
for it, it has this thing called gimbal lock, which is when it has to traverse the forward direction, it can't actually do it because it would end up going up when it needs to go down. So it needs to kind of rotate around. And we see in the video that the rotation of the craft coincides with the traversal of that zero degree gimbal lock. Right. And we also see that when the object appears to rotate, there's this kind of frame of light uh, splotches in the entire sky that rotates. So we have to do really something similar if it's, to that. It's part of the camera. When we're, when we're doing astronomy, we have to do a, a flip. We have to do a meridian flip with our telescope when the, right. when, the, when, the, when the objects that you're trying to view are just outside of the telescope's current orientation, you pretty much have to go all the way around the horn to get it, to, to, even if you have to go just a couple of degrees over, the whole yeah. thing has to then, because it's the way the mount of the telescope is is being held. And so I can sort of imagine a similar situation that your gimbal is sort of reaching a certain point that it's having to shift over to get mm -hmm. a, another perspective of this of this object. Yeah, and you also have a, a similar uh, an aspect in astrophotography where you get these cross shapes around stars. Mm -hmm. Uh, which which is essentially the glare, but it's 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 a diffraction effect. Uh, it's, the light is being spread out, and this is is because of the uh, the, the cross that's holding the mirror yeah. in in the middle of the telescope. Yeah, it's uh, funny the yeah, the, it, the glare that you get matches the shape of the supports that yeah. are holding your secondary mirror inside your telescope. Is that interesting? Yeah, and if you were to rotate your entire telescope, you would see you would see that 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 cross would uh, would rotate as well. Uh, and you know that's what we're seeing in this video. The rotation is is an art, the, an artifact of the camera system, and it, it's the problem with this explanation is that it's it's quite complicated. Uh, Joe Rogan described it as performing mental gymnastics, which he took as being evidence that it was not true because it was it was quite complicated, uh, and it actually gets even more complicated because the inner workings of the camera have these these mirror mounted gimbals uh there's, there's a, a an astrophotography thing i think called a, a heliostat mm -hmm. yep. which is a, a type of mirror that always looks directly towards the sun and it's just a you know a way of steering light uh with mirrors so they use these these very sensitive internal uh mirrors uh which i think they call coleostats which is a version of the same thing uh, to to actually do most of the steering, but then they have the exterior thing, which is this giant like two hundred pound ball that they have to rotate to do this this the gross uh, steering which traverses. So you get this. They, they try to minimize it with with algorithms, and so you only get it during this this, this certain periods. So it, it looks kind of weird, but you can see it's that that's what's happening because you can see the entire sky rotating. So that's something I think that people constantly show. On TV, when you, when you do me see media stories about these UFOs, you see them put this up because it looks like a flying saucer and it looks like it's, it's levitating. Yeah, but I think it's just just the glare and it's just the gimbal system. And it's right in the in the crosshairs of the of the 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 camera system. Yeah, and that, that's something that also makes it look uh, unusual. Uh, the cameras, these cameras are really really good at tracking things. So they lock onto things and you see a little box around the thing and then it just stays in the middle. So it, it gives this weird illusion that, uh, you know, kind of you're not really moving that fast. Uh, it's, it gives a very uh, deceptive perception of what's actually going on. So it looks like this, this, this UFO, this, this gimbal flying saucer is flying sideways, but it's not, it's actually flying directly away from the camera. And what's happening is the the jet with the camera is flying at about 45 degrees to it and the camera is turned 45 degrees uh, so it's looking at it 
so the clouds behind this object are moving from parallax, even though it's the object itself is just staying in the center of the screen, the jet with the camera is moving. And so you get this, this parallax illusion. And then when it stops, it's not the actual plane itself stopping. The plane itself that the in the distance isn't changing its, its speed at all. What's happening is the plane with the camera has come around. So now the plane is flying directly towards it and the camera is facing forward. So it's it's all these kind of illusions kind of play together to make it seem like something that it isn't. But if you do do these mental gymnastics or these mental calisthenics, you can actually figure out what it is. And uh, I think that's what it is, just a gimbal flare. <laughs> right, yeah. Um... So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm keeping sort of one eye on the chat while we're while we're talking, and there's a lot of hate going on in the chat, <laughs> which is, which is a shock and surprise to me. Like, um, if there's like one community that is the meanest, it is the UFO community. Um, like, like I get death threats. I'm sure you do too, right? Um, well, uh, I was quite surprised. Yeah, I, I did uh, when I started doing some UFO stuff. I was surprised. Uh, that I did get some hate. And obviously there's lots of lovely people in the mm -hmm, UFO community mm -hmm. and I'm kind of friends with a lot of them and uh, we, we get on fairly well, even though they disagree with me. But there's some people who are very, very passionate yeah. uh, about it. And I think part of that is uh, because some, a lot of the people who are into UFOs are people who are what they call experiencers, people who have had some kind of experience that they think means that they saw a UFO or had an encounter with an alien. And for them, that's deeply, deeply personal. Right. And they view my debunking of individual cases, nothing to do with their cases, as being an attack on their entire belief system and their, their entire life view. So they get angry with me. Yeah, I mean, I think that that to to see something unusual that you couldn't explain and then to share that experience with other people is a very kind of vulnerable place to put yourself in. Because on the one hand, you saw something that is so compelling that it that you needed to talk to somebody, you needed to sort of stake this experience with with other people. And and then the response is often quite belittling from the scientific community, from the skeptical community, from your friends, from your family, whatever. And, and, and that nobody likes to be treated that way. Yeah, and so, yeah, and so yeah. I think that, that that puts you into a place that is, that you're already on the defensive and already kind of pre then prepared to go to battle. You sort of put your armor on and now you're ready to fight anybody who, who disagrees with the, with the perspective that you're, you know, the experience, the personal experience you had. And I think of, of all truth claims, <clears throat> the hardest ones to debunk are personal experience, but they're also the least useful from a scientific perspective. Yeah. Yeah, unless you've got uh, uh, multiple correlations. But even then, sometimes uh, people are being convicted and uh, sent to the death row based on eyewitness accounts from multiple witnesses who all fingered the wrong guy. Uh, and it does, it does happen that people make mistakes. But yeah, if... If someone is just telling me their personal account of something that happened to them, and often it's like ten years ago, or if not, if not longer, I, I there's not a lot I can do about it. Yeah, I could perhaps suggest a few things, but often they will get quite angry and they'll say, "You weren't there." Yeah, I know what I saw, uh, and it was a giant black triangle or whatever it was. But I do, but I do think that our 
the words that we use as debunkers, as skeptics, is really important. And, you know, the people mm -hmm. on my channel, you know, I, I, I see a bunch of names in the chat who are very kind and, you know, and have been watching many of these episodes, are even enduring an episode where I'm talking to someone who whose very job is to debunk their, their personal experience. Um, and, and for me, it's like, the, the path that I take is that I'm unconvinced, that I find the evidence so far uncompelling and unconvincing. Yeah. And then on the other hand, all I do is talk about the search for aliens. Like I clearly really oh, want yeah. there to be an answer, but I want the answer to be right. Um, yeah, no, me too. Uh, I, I would love it if we discovered some evidence of aliens. And I think probably like you, we will probably find it further away from Earth rather than close to Earth. Uh, but yeah, I I... It, you, you've got to talk politely to people, I think, when, you, when you're doing this, if you want to you have a good experience with people. And that's something I've, I've been trying to do with the UFO community is, uh, you know, just engage them. Like, I, I'm not trying to prove that aliens don't exist. That's not what I'm doing here. What I'm doing with each individual case is try to figure what this individual case shows. Uh, now, of course, most of the time, uh, it ends up showing something that's pretty mundane. And a lot of the times when I can't determine what it is, I will put the mundane explanation at the top of the list. That's something I like to do is make a list of potential explanations. So if I can't figure something out, I would say you know, my number one hypothesis is that it's a plane. My number two is that he misperceived something. Or my, my number three is that uh, this person lied, made up the story. And my number four explanation is that it's it's aliens and uh, probably there's a few others in between but then people get really upset and they say how could you possibly accuse this person of lying right but i'm usually not it's usually number three on the list but yeah it's i still think that's a more likely explanation than than, than aliens in, in most of the cases but people people disagree some people think that certain witnesses are essentially unimpeachable and that you you have to believe them which uh, i don't think is the case with uh with ufo encounters yeah it's a you know fairly well-known logical fallacy, right? It's an argument from authority, which, which you know, can't be used as an, as an argument. Um, so then let's flip this around the other way then. As a person who is looking for evidence, you mentioned briefly, but I would love to just sort of explore what are the types of evidence moving up the chain that you would find more and more fascinating and compelling and would make you even a believer? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, what I would really look for is is you know just better evidence is what we need and uh, i think i'm not sure if this evidence actually exists a lot of people talk about like if, if you get behind the wall of secrecy would uh is, is there all this evidence does the government actually have evidence of uh, uh that proves that there's some kind of anti-gravity craft up there and i'm not sure that does even exist but you know if 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 I had the opportunity to to look at that, I mean, I, I would look for things that were correlated from multiple sources. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, there's I, definitely I is, good examples of that, right? There was like the the SpaceX launches that happen in over above Los Angeles that create this giant bizarre yeah. plume that's seen by literally millions of people. And you see, there was the Goodyear blimp that was floating above a, a stadium, and you saw multiple videos of this of this thing. But I guess I guess what I'm saying is is like not like I'd like to see better 
pictures of these things because because then I think they would turn into airplanes, blimps, balloons, Venus, etc. What would be the what would be the evidence that you would have a hard time discounting that would point more towards this this idea that we are being visited by aliens? What would be something that would you know would you go okay I have no explanation for this and it's something mm. that we can't do. Yeah, essentially that thing, it would have to be something that we can't do. So it has to be evidence that demonstrated that something was moving in a way that we can't do, that either it was like uh, a, a heavy object that was hovering in space and wasn't affected by the wind, meaning it's not a balloon, and uh, it stays there for a long time, or it, it accelerated at a rate that was very, very rapid, like say above 20 Gs or even above 100 Gs. Or it was to go very, very fast if it was going above like 2,000, uh, 2000 miles an hour. Uh, and uh, doing that from a dead stop would be through good. The or, or if it was doing, yeah, yeah through the atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, you know, things that would be physically very difficult to do, even if we had technology to accelerate that fast because the, you know, the air gets in the way and you get these uh, large explosions of energy. But if we had evidence of that actually happening, that would be the type of thing that would convince me that something was going on. But we need more than just one single video of that. And we, in fact, we don't even really have videos of that type of thing. People, people talk about you know this, this video evidence, but we don't even have bit evidence of something like zipping off really fast. Uh, all the all the videos we have are essentially of, of static objects that really aren't moving uh, very fast at all. So if you uh, came but, you know, to if me. We did, I would find that uncompelling. I would not be convinced. I would find that interesting. And I would still, I would add that to, I would, I would say that sounds to me like there's some kind of terrestrial explanation. The Chinese have developed their new mm -hmm. um, nuclear powered rocket yeah. aircraft. Like, like I, I feel pretty confident that there are all kinds of flying vehicles and, and military hardware that we are unaware of that are operating in the skies and sure. have yet but to be identified. And so I, I thing, find your evidence uncon unconvincing, Mick. The thing is that most people in the UFO community aren't trying to convince you that it's aliens. Uh, they're trying to convince you that there are um, advanced technology flying craft out there. Really? And that is not that, my experience. Yeah. That's, the the thing is, they say that. I don't think they all really believe that. And I think if you kind of drill down to it, a lot of them actually think it actually is aliens. But they recognize that uh, talking about aliens gets them branded in a certain way. And so they, they think that the conversation will be much better furthered if they frame it as essentially a national security concern. You know, what, why are Chinese drones uh, buzzing our ships. You know, why are the Russian drones so much faster than our drones? What are these mysterious things? And are they a foreign adversary or are they some kind of natural phenomenon? And uh, so if you take aliens out of the equation, then it kind of allows you to talk about uh, it in a more sensible sounding way. But again, I think if you drill down into what these people are, are talking about, uh, they do generally end up thinking that aliens are a pretty good possibility. They just don't like to mention that in uh, in public discussions. So, so that's super. Like, this is a total surprise to me, and and so I'm, I'm going to need to spend a little more time talking about this. So, so my exper experience is the exact opposite. That nobody is talking about about other nation states with advanced aerial capability. Mm. That it is all about about UFOs and aliens and and you know, that being the, the assumption. So that's, that's your experience is that the, is that the community? Well, you, you've is got to look at it. 
Yeah, the, the community is is broad and diverse, uh, but mm. you've got to look at what who are the kind of the leaders in the community right now, uh, and there there are people you know who are the leaders. Like I guess George Knapp is is someone who is a is a journalist, and a lot of it revolves around him. But there's also people like uh, Chris Mellon, who used to be in the government and then worked, went to work for Tom DeLonge, uh, and Luis Elizondo, uh, who also used to work in the government and used to work on. Uh, a unidentified aerial phenomenon program. They they will frame it as essentially being a national security uh, concern. And a lot of the other people who write about it, uh, people who who write articles about the issue, are going to be writing it as if they are these are drones or these are some kind of uh, a Russian craft of some sort, like national security. Hmm. But the kind of the rank and file people that you see on say UFO Twitter. Uh, a lot of those are, you know, hardcore alien believers, but a lot of them are also people who uh, think that there might just be some kind of advanced anti-gravity flying craft out there. Uh, and a lot of those think that maybe that's aliens, maybe it's alien technology, but we don't know and we shouldn't talk about it. So what you're seeing still is is all these people who believe in aliens uh, talking. And perhaps, you know, you see more of that. Mm -hmm. uh, the people I talk to... Uh, will often call me out if I say, like, I don't think aliens are very likely. They'll, they'll be all be like, oh, who mentioned aliens? Yeah. No one mentioned no aliens. You aliens. mentioned aliens. You're just trying to smear me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, the, um, so that's that's kind of, you know, what, what's going on in the uh, the big discussions about UFOs right now is is kind of a, uh, an attempt to move it forward by focusing more on the national security aspects than on the let's find aliens aspect. Right, right. Um, so... So then, if it was aliens, what would be the evidence that you would find that would be convincing that it was aliens? Well, like you said, uh, if there's some kind of advanced technology being demonstrated, is it possible that humans have invented that advanced technology? And of course, the answer to that is, is probably yes. So for it to be evidence of aliens, we'd have to have things like seeing evidence of off-worldness which would mean like a spaceship flying towards Earth or like, like yes. this, that big asteroid that came through a while ago yep. uh, that, that seemed a bit suspicious to some people. And if that actually was a bit more suspicious, like it came through the solar system and it was broadcasting uh, prime numbers, then you know, that would be actual real evidence of some kind of extraterrestrial life. Right. So if we uh, or, watched, if, if astronomers were tracking an upcoming asteroid that was going to be coming within, you know, the Earth-Moon distance, and then suddenly it changes course and enters the atmosphere yeah, um, yeah. and hovers above a city. Or a little above a city, shuttlecraft came out. Yeah, a little shuttlecraft come out of this thing. And so we've got this sort yeah. of um, continuous observation of this object. But, then yeah. that is very compelling. Yeah, and then of course the there's the the old cliche of it landing on the White House lawn, but you know just something like an actual observation of something that is distinctly non-human, like uh, um, yeah, humanoid-looking things, which you could you could theorize that that they are just like androids or something created by humans, uh, but you know at, at that point you six of one and half dozen of the other. It's a very interesting thing that's going on uh, regardless. Uh, but yeah, if if there's something came from outer space, you'd kind of have to see it coming from outer space to uh, to to verify that it did indeed come from outer space. Yeah, it's that's interesting. I mean, you can see that that the like when when you talk to people who believe in in UFOs are 
our proof of aliens, you can see just the, the size of the gap between what they find compelling evidence and what we who have done some work in astronomy or talked to astronomers and so on have a, you know, and that gap is, you know, how do we narrow that gap? How do we get to an agreed upon, you know, line of evidence? I mean, that's, I yeah. guess that's something that the scientific community struggles with on its own, not to mention the interaction between the scientific community and, and the general public. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, what you see a lot now in the UFO community is talk about the phenomenon. And they say the phenomenon is real. And when pressed, uh, they don't always have a good uh, definition of what the phenomenon is. But really, they're talking about uh, unidentified crafts that seem to transcend human technology flying in the air. And they will say that is real. And they, then they say that's that's kind of the important point, that that has been determined. And a lot of them feel that the evidence is in mm -hmm. on that point. They feel that it's, it's, it's a slam dunk. We should stop even talking about, oh, is the phenomenon real? The phenomenon's obviously real in their minds, and we should start trying to figure out who is behind this phenomenon. Is right. it humans? Uh, which humans is it? And if not humans, then then who? Which, which uh, of our overlords are the reptiles and which are the Asgardians? Yeah, see, that's the, that's, that's the type of talk they don't like. You see. <laughs> You're making fun of oh, them. Oh, I guess and, so, yeah. Uh... <laughs> well, I mean, you know, but like, I mean, definitely there are people who who feel that there are, that there is this, you know, it it, it gets into conspiracy theory that, that, that all of these pieces meet together, that you've got the yeah. regular visitation by aliens, you've got a cover-up by the government, you've got infiltration of our society by alien species and it is all part of this vast conspiracy that then connects all these other pieces together i mean yeah they do seem yeah quite sometimes you get connected as well you get this this kind of metaphysical aspect of it for some people as well some people think that uh ufos are not aliens and they're not human technology they're actual some kind of trans-dimensional manifestation of contact with another dimension uh and there are some fairly serious people who who think this uh, the guy called uh, Jack Vallee, who is the scientist who the scientist in Close Encounters of the Third Kind was based on, the French scientist. He kind of believes a variant of that theory, that it, that's, that's uh, um, UFOs. I think he actually thinks that they're a, a kind of cover-up that has been created to distract us from transdimensional visitors, yeah. which is kind of a bizarre thing. But you know, the, And then there's all kinds of other things. Lots of people think that there are kind of aliens visiting us to kind of give us information like the good alien good aliens uh, visitors who are trying to help humanity transcend to the next level of, of awareness and you get people like that but then of course the more serious uh, nuts and bolts ufo people kind of disown those people and they prefer just to talk about whether it's anti-gravity or whether it's a warp drive you know, the technical aspects of it so right there's a whole range of people in you in the ufo community and it's a you really don't want to tar any of them with the same brush as any of the rest of them um so i'd like to uh take some questions from the audience people are watching there's a bunch of interesting questions so uh arjone asks does anyone see unidentified things in the water so are there unidentified aquatic objects the water is, is much more problematic than the air because it's uh, difficult to see through. 
So the unidentified things that we, we get in the water are essentially usually unidentified sonar blips. And these do exist in the same way that we get unidentified things showing up on, on radar. Uh, we have reports of unidentified things showing up on sonar. And very occasionally you will, you will hear people talk about seeing something, but because it's the ocean, you, you only get kind of a glimpse of something perhaps moving away from you or moving past you or something like that. Uh, but, and the, we're very limited in terms of the actual photos of, of things in the water, but there are reports of it. And this is one of the, the five observables is that UFOs are supposed to also be able to fly underwater and you, you get the idea that they can, they can go down and you know, break through the air water barrier without, uh, uh, without any change in velocity, which would be very uh, impressive if it could actually happen. So yes, there are unidentified submersible objects. Um... Uh, Six Bob Ohms wants your uh, explanation for the Tic Tac propulsion video, which I'm assuming I, I don't really know what that is, but I'm assuming you've you've done a, a look yeah. at that. Uh, well, I'm assuming that's the the Nimitz video from 2004, uh, which was was the, uh, the basically you know, the, there was an encounter with Commander David Fravor. He saw a what he thought was a tic-tac shaped object just flying around and it was like buzzing up down left right and then it kind of mirrored him and then zipped past him uh, then later another pilot went out and took a video and it showed basically a a black blob or a dark blob in the distance and uh my explanation for that is that it's probably a plane and in fact probably another fa-18 because what was going on during that time was that they were setting up for an exercise but they had quite a few planes in the air. And the radar operator, Kevin Day, told me when I, I talked to him that it was kind of a chaotic situation at that point because he was in the middle of canceling the exercise because of this stuff going on. So I think what happened was that uh, he pointed his, his camera in a certain direction and it picked up on this, this distant plane and he didn't realize it was a plane because he misjudged the distance. You know, your radar only works uh, if you kind of know where, how far to look. You know, you've looked five miles in front of you and there's nothing there, it doesn't mean there's nothing 10 miles in front of you, and you might be discounting that because you know it's your own plane. Then you see the plane, and it kind of looks like it moves around on the screen, but if you if you go kind of frame by frame and look at what's going on, you see that every single one of these motions of the plane and the slight losses in lock comes from changes in the camera, either changes in the zoom level or changes in the, uh, the type of camera from infrared to visible light, or there's even a gimbal correction where the whole, the whole scene rotates, uh, or, or just you know, changes from like wide to narrow field of view and then back again too quickly. And it just makes the camera lose lock for a while because it's an optical lock, it's not an actual uh, radar lock. And, and at the end, it just kind of drifts off to the side because it's lost lock completely. So that's what I think that is. So Tickle Me and I'll Hurt You says, I think this guy's terrified of the thought of there being aliens. Are you terrified <laughs> of the thought of there being aliens? No, I mean, like... It's, it's an interesting thing because I'd be fascinated if there were aliens, Me but too. the idea of alien visitors is, is a little concerning, you must admit, because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not like I don't uh, want to find aliens, but, you know, did, did the, the Aztecs uh, want the Spaniards to come over? It didn't, didn't end up very well. And uh, the, the, the gap in technology, but you know, the, the, the worry that aliens might be this super advanced race that doesn't think uh, very highly of as, as little cockroaches isn't a reason to not believe in them. 
is a reason to be worried about if they're actually real or not. It, it doesn't make me think, oh, uh, you know, I, I, I'll just not, I'm not believing these aliens uh, and then they won't come and visit us. That's not going to change anything. I mean, sure, I'm a little concerned about what might happen when they arrive, if they arrive, uh, but uh, it doesn't, it doesn't really affect my investigations. Yeah, people always ask, people always say that to me too. That I'm, you know, I'm not ready. I promise you, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for the truth. Mm. Um, bring it, bring, bring it. it. Yeah, please. I think we. I mean, sometimes the truth is uncomfortable, but we are better served knowing reality than living in a in a fiction. So, so yeah, no, I think. Yeah. Um, and that you know that no works way. both ways. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I, I, I think I'm. I'm trying to discern the truth in all these cases. I'm not setting out to try to disprove aliens because I'm afraid aliens will come visit, which makes no sense. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what this thing is on screen. And if it's something that cannot be explained by some kind of hypothesis that fits the normal understanding of the world, then that means that there's something else. And that's really, really interesting. And I, I would love to discover something that uh, could not be explained by conventional means. Yeah, yeah. I think... Uh, um... A hundred percent agree. And, and I like, you know, again, like if people who watch this channel know, like I'd say a third of the guests that I'm bringing on, we are talking about ways that we can find aliens and, and <laughs> you know, like, like searching for techno signatures, searching for, um, for biosignatures, searching for any radio, you know, anything, anything, any tiny little thing that we can, we can put our hooks into to be able to then use that as a way to learn more about what's going on out there in the, in the universe. And, um, and it is, it's such yeah, a puzzling, oh, I'm... uh, insult when people insult me with that, like you're not ready. I mean, it's condescending. Obviously they're trying to condescend me into believing them, I guess it's a method yeah. of manipulation, but it's, it's hilariously laughable because I just, I literally spend so much of my day, writing about managing a team that looks into i mean again universe today we throw tons of stories every time i see anything which is like here's a clever way we could search for aliens i task yeah. a writer to investigate it because it's fun i love it yeah i think like a lot of you, you may be as well like grew up reading science fiction and uh some of the stuff i really enjoyed was science fiction about first contact between between humans and aliens that was just such a fascinating genre of fiction for me and the idea that that could be true like the you know there's famous examples like rendezvous with rama uh, by arthur c Clarke, and the asteroid that came through now was very reminiscent uh, of that that type of thing rendezvous with rama was uh, an asteroid that came through that was actually an alien spaceship inside and they went inside and it was this whole whole world inside of it and then there's, there's other things like childhood's end uh, and you know, all kinds of classic uh, science fiction stories that I grew up with that I would just love for the for these things to actually come true these this you know I was really into hard science fiction you know my, one of my favorite books was the unorthodox engineers right, which is just stories about how people solve things in space and uh, in, in foreign planets and I just love the idea of uh, of uh, space and 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 aliens so yeah, yeah bring it yeah please um, uh... And then just this idea that that the truth is there, but it's you know it's being covered up by a conspiracy. I sort of treat that as like then let's just assume it's not real until the I mean if there is a conspiracy, 
And it's like, you know, if we're living in a simulation and we never find out that we're living in a simulation, then were we really living in a simulation? Or was it just life? And so if there is a vast conspiracy yes, hiding uh, <laughs> the truth from us, yeah. and and they never reveal this truth, and so we're forced to go the long way to build a spacefaring civilization, to send out robotic spacecraft to other worlds, to colonize the entire Milky Way, and eventually find that there was, or maybe even never find the secret aliens who were you know, running a conspiracy all this time were they ever really there? Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's fascinating, and uh, uh, yeah, is it a conspiracy that's being stuff is being covered up? I mean, I think that there might be some little aspects of it that might be true. There's some interesting things like what what is the military's actual position on UFOs mm -hmm. right now, and why are they letting information out the way they do? Uh, I, I tend to think, though, you know, it's it's like, what are the theories of history? There's the conspiracy theory uh, of history, then there's the the, the cock-up theory of history. Right. Uh, where things just simply emerge from you know, the actions of multiple people with, with varying different uh, ideas about what they want to do in the world. And uh, I don't really see any grand plan going on here with this this military's involvement of uh with ufos if anything it's more just the pr department uh just trying to keep a handle on things because they're just getting so many requests for information yeah and they know that most things are just classified by default not because they're aliens but just because they're classified by default yeah. so they can't talk about them yeah but then you get these media storms and uh yeah if there's any conspiracy it's just to try to avoid these media storms and I think it's the same thing. Like Elon Musk would be grateful if somebody could show up with the anti-gravity technology. It would save him a lot of exploding starships. But until somebody does, he's going to have to keep yeah. blowing up starships in Boca Chica to try and figure out this space flight thing the hard way. And so like the aliens could save us a lot of time if they would just deliver their, their, their technology so that we could get on with it and join the Galactic yeah. Federation. I I think that conspiracy theory that Elon Musk is covering up uh, anti-gravity technology or doesn't want it somehow is, is a bit ridiculous because yeah. you know, his, his, he's got plenty of money and he's, he's losing money on his space stuff because he's actually making his money from Tesla. Uh, so what he, you know, what he actually wants to do, it seems, is actually colonize the solar system and that's, that's his ambition. Yeah. And it would be vastly easier if we actually had this technology. So the idea that he would try to avoid it is just nonsensical. Well, uh, Mick, it was an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. If people want to follow your work, uh, where should they go? I'm on Twitter at Mick West, uh, or you can go to metabunk.org. And you have a great YouTube channel. Um, I'll put a, I'll put a link oh, yes, to I the do. YouTube channel Mick as West. well. Yeah, and you've got I'm Mick these. West everywhere, so just yeah. type it in wherever you are. I will yeah. pop up. Terrific. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today, and I hope that that I maybe have helped generate a bunch of new um, sleuths who will now take some of these tools and start investigating some of these uh, interesting photographs and videos for themselves and see what they can find out. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> it you does learn, have fun. Learn a lot whilst you do it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Vic. Thank you.